All right, so we're starting a new series today, completely brand new. And um, I, I did this series with, um, with our seniors in mind. But before I, I launch into uh, the series that we're going to start in Colossians today, I do want to say a couple things about um, how many of you guys were in the main service a while ago, just a few minutes ago? Um, about half of you. And um, obviously Gary uh, was diagnosed this past week with a tumor in his eye. And I'll just kind of tell you from a staff person's perspective, um, it's hit us pretty hard this week. Uh, Gary, he assembled us in the staff uh, conference room at about uh, 2 o'clock on Wednesday. And we were, we're kind of wondering, like, what's this going to be about? This is odd that we're in here all together. And so, um, Chris, if you don't mind just telling the people out there playing air hockey to stop doing that, please, that'd be great because it's going to still get in here. So the other door should work there. Um, so he assembles in the conference room, and he just, you know, he got a little emotional, and he said, you know, I've got an eye cancer, and, um, and, and we just all were kind of hit with this, like, uh, like a wall, just really a wall of emotion just kind of hit us. We prayed over him. We cried with him. We just all gathered around and prayed over him in the conference room. And, and I'll tell you, the next, uh, that night, Wednesday night, um, I just couldn't sleep. I mean, I'm sure he didn't sleep at all either. I'm sure his family didn't sleep. But I literally couldn't sleep, and I'd wake up, and I'd kind of go back to sleep, and, and back and forth. And I started to think that, um, you know, I mean, Gary's our pastor, and I started to feel like this, like my own father told me that he had cancer or something like that. And it really just kind of hit me and hit our whole staff this week. And, uh, and so we're going to continue lifting him up in prayer. And I started thinking about the verse in Scripture where it says, you weep with those who weep, and you rejoice with those who rejoice. And so in a sense... It's good that we're feeling what his family's feeling. That means we are connected in community, and we should feel it in the same way that they feel it. And so the tears that you saw shed in the, in the service over there a while ago, that's biblical. It's good. It should be happening. And so we're going to continue lifting up in prayer and, and, and sharing as they kind of go through this process. Um, we're going to weep with them and rejoice with them when we hear good news and that kind of thing. So um, we'll talk more about this as we go through this talk this morning, but I wanted to give that as a preface this morning to you. So we're starting a new series today called Rooted, and it's, on, it's based on uh, Colossians. And um, I started, I wanted to do this series. It's, I had the seniors in mind when I decided to do this series, but this does apply to everyone. But there are a lot of parallels in this passage, in this, in this book that relates to our seniors that are about to graduate. So I had you in mind whenever um, I wanted to do this series on Colossians. So about uh, a month ago, every spring my wife has these great ideas on what we can do with the yard. And the really funny thing about that, I'm not being chauvinist when I say this, but men in the room, you'll understand after when you get married that um, there's a reason why the wife has all the good ideas when it comes to the yard because she doesn't actually have to do the things that she's thinking of. Um, she gets to say to me, hey, we could do this, we could do this, we could do this. Now get to work, you know, and I'm like, all right. So I really hate yard, I really hate yard work, but it's a necessary evil. And so I do it uh, because I love my wife. And, and so she started saying things like, I want to like uproot this thing over here and plant it over here. I want to uproot all these bushes right here. And whenever I hear, start hearing things like, like, I don't mind mowing the grass. I don't mind the monthly maintenance stuff. 
But I hate uprooting things because here's what you got to do. Even like a small bush like this big, I've got to get a shovel and a pickaxe and other major tools to uproot, uproot just a bush that's like this big. And I've got to dig like this moat around the bush and use the, the handle as a lever trying to pry this thing out of the ground. And I actually broke a shovel about two weeks ago. Broke it in half. Had to go to my second string shovel and use that as the backup. And so, and almost broke that one as well. And so I finally uproot like two things. It took me like two hours to uproot two things. And I'm just prying and pulling and and my son's looking at me like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I have no idea why I'm doing this. And, and so, um, but with, when it comes to roots, even roots that are that small, it's very difficult to move something that's been deeply rooted. It takes effort. It takes work. It requires sweat. You get dirty. And, but, but this is exactly, I think, how God wants you to be in your faith. He wants you to be deeply rooted in your faith. And for those that are about to graduate, he wants you to be deeply rooted so that you, when you leave this place, if it's this year or next year or the year after that, if you're a sophomore or freshman, he wants you to be deeply rooted so that you will not walk away from your faith and not be easily moved. And there's a passage in Colossians chapter 2, verses uh, 6 and 7, that is the key passage for this whole book, I think. And it says this, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And that is the key verse for this whole series, because our hope for you, before you leave here, before you graduate from this place, our hope is that you will walk in Christ You'll remember that you received him as Lord in your life. You'll be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. And that you'll be like that, even that tiny little bush that's so hard to get out of the ground, that when people start pulling at you and prodding at you and, and trying to get you to be pulled out of the ground when you go to college, that it will not, you will not go easily, right? My hope is that you won't go at all, but that you will not go without a huge fight for your faith. Because so many people are like tumbleweed, right? There's no roots. They just kind of, wherever the wind goes, they're just kind of going that direction. And that's how they live their life. And so before you leave here, this is our hope for you, especially for our seniors that are in the room this morning. Something about roots. Roots are never pretty. They're never glamorous, but they give life. When I pull those things out of the ground, I look at the roots and go, those roots are really ugly. Like you would never put like, you would never send like a bouquet of roots to your girlfriend, right? That would just, that'd be like an insult. But roots have to be there. Roots have to be there for the plant to grow and to flourish. And so some of you are, we get so caught up with the external, the surface stuff, the superficial stuff, when the real work and the real growth happens beneath the surface. And it's not glamorous, it's not pretty, but there's hard work involved. There's a reliance in Christ involved. But that's where the real growth happens, beneath the surface. That's where it really, that's where life is given, beneath the surface. And so some background for you in Colossians. 
There's a map I want to show you. This is a, a map of this part of the world way back when. You see Ephesus there more to the right, Corinth to the left. Colossae is the city we'll be talking about this morning. It's in Asia Minor there, sort of in the sort of southwestern uh, part of, of what's now known as Turkey. And so what's happening is the, the, uh, the Apostle Paul was in Ephesus for three years, teaching and ministering and discipling. And when Paul was in Ephesus for three years, a man named Epaphras came from Colossae, his hometown, and went to Ephesus. Epaphras becomes a believer in Christ, gets sparked by the gospel. Then Epaphras goes back to Colossae and starts sharing his faith, winning people to Christ, um, spreads the gospel, and he plants a church there in Colossae, in a pagan city. And at this point in the story, Paul is now in a Roman prison, and he writes this letter to the Colossians, because Paul's hearing things about the Colossians that are concerning to him. He's hearing things like, they're starting to get mixed up with some weird stuff. They're starting to get mixed up with some secular, some messed up philosophies. So Paul, can you write them a letter so that they know what the true gospel is? And so Paul writes this letter saying, I'm hearing there's some dangerous teachings in your midst at the church in Colossae. And so Paul's writing them to keep them focused on what is true and what the true gospel really is. So here's why we're studying this book. Epaphras becomes a believer in Ephesus. He goes to Colossae and he shares his faith in a pagan city. Many of you became believers here in Temple, Texas, here at TBC. You will be going off somewhere to a pagan city, and you will have to share your faith much in the same way that Epaphras did in Colossae. So Epaphras walks into a city of unbelievers, a pagan town where almost no one's a Christian yet, and he shares his faith. This is what you're going to have to do when you leave this place and go off to college. And so Paul is writing to a young church that's susceptible to false ideas. Many of you are young in your faith and just as vulnerable as the Colossians were. And so as we go through the series, I want to cover over some, some modern-day false ideas each week, things that you might be susceptible to. And I'm not just talking about, like, evolution and stuff. I'm, we'll cover some of that. But I'm talking more about, like, catchphrases that summarize a philosophy and a way of living that is popular in our culture. Everyone says the word YOLO these days, right? That's one example. We'll cover that one at some point. Um, other, question, other things I've seen in culture are just things like, you know, it's my life. Don't tell me how to run my life. Those kinds of statements. But these statements are rooted in philosophies and ideas that are very prevalent in the places that you're going to be going to, in the academy, but also on the street. And so we're going to talk about some of those things that I want to cover. I'm trying to find music um, that's out there that sort of depicts some of these philosophies that you can kind of hear or see words to as we go through the series as well. So look with me in Colossians chapter 1. We'll start there. Colossians 1, verse 1. Colossians 1, verse 1. And it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Now that first sentence, I want you to see how miraculous this is. Paul, an apostle, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. 
Remember who Paul was? He was the guy who would persecute, possibly even murder Christians before he became one. And so this first statement is absolutely miraculous just by itself. Just that first phrase. And it says, And Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae. So look back with me. It says, Timothy, our brother. Now, is Timothy his biological brother? No. So what does it mean? What he means by that is Timothy is a fellow believer. And when you say someone's a fellow believer, that means they are family. They're family. Now, I don't mean like in, some, in, in, a, in a weird like Christian cult kind of way. But I mean that it, it, it's true when someone else is a believer in Christ, when you have Christ in common, you've got everything in common. And in Scripture, we see this idea that when someone's a believer in Christ, they are your brother. They are your sister. Look at the person to your right and to your left. They are related to you through Jesus. They are. They are. This is why, listen, this is why we push community so much here because if you decide to break off from the church at some point in your life, you are breaking off from family. And again, I don't mean that in a weird cult kind of way. I mean it in just a very biblical way that that's your family. This is, we're meant to be family. This is why we weep with Pastor Gary right now. He's family to us. He's like my dad, my grandfather. Okay, my dad, not my grandfather. My grandfather would be like 90 years old. He's like my dad, in a sense. And so we're family in the body of Christ. Look at verse 3. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints. So Paul doesn't even know these people, but he thanks God for them. Imagine how exciting it must have been. Listen, imagine how exciting it must have been for Paul to become a believer be ministering in places like Ephesus and Corinth and Rome, and then to hear about this little church in a city you've never even been to, people you don't even know, and they're worshiping the same guy that he's worshiping. Like, it's starting to spread now. It's starting to really spread throughout the Middle East and Europe. And how exciting that must have been for Paul to hear that this is happening, but also how scary it must have been knowing that he's not sure what they're really believing. He's not quite sure, are they really believing the true gospel? I hope so. So I'll write a letter just to make sure that they're on the right track. How exciting it must have been for Paul to hear news from Colossae. It also says, since we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for the saints, there is always a connection. Listen, there is always a connection between the faith that you have in Jesus and the love that you have for the saints. It says the Colossian church was an accepting church. People who are willing to bring in anyone and everyone and say, hey, welcome to our body, become a part of our fellowship. And that was directly linked to the faith that they had in Jesus. You can't separate those two things. Here's my concern for you as you leave this place eventually. Some are going to leave this place, and you're going to isolate yourself from the church. You're going to walk out of this church, walk into the rest of your life, and you're going to isolate yourself from the church. And you'll say things like, no, no, I still love Jesus. No, I still, me and Jesus, we're good. 
but you'll have an issue with the church, and you'll begin to isolate yourself from the church. That's my biggest fear for you. Because the stats are pretty staggering. The number of people who walk out of church when they graduate high school is staggering. It's staggering. I always contend that those that can do that, I don't think we're ever truly rooted to begin with. Truly rooted. Not saying they're not Christians. I'm just saying that they weren't really rooted in their faith when they left here. And my goal here has always been to try to root you deeply in Scripture, root you deeply in your walk with God so that you won't walk away from Christ when you leave this place. And so my hope is that, my hope, guys, listen, my hope is that when you leave this place, that we're going to hear the same things about you that Paul heard about the Colossians. That he can look, we can look at you and we can hear rumors about how great you're doing things for the kingdom and how you're walking with Christ closely, how you are loving the church, how you're involved in a church somewhere else. You're trying to win people to Christ. That's my hope is that you take that call seriously and live out your faith like the Colossians are living out their faith, no matter where you are. Look at verse 5. It says, Because of the hope laid up for you in heaven, of this you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you, since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth, just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. So Paul thanks God for the Colossians, and he thanks God that the gospel is bearing fruit in them. And so there's two things I want you to see in this passage. The gospel, watch, the gospel is growing out there in the world and bearing fruit, going to a place where Paul's never even been to. The gospel's taking root there. So there's that aspect of it, but it's also growing in the Colossians in an individual, personal level as well. And what I want you to see from this passage is this next statement. If the gospel stops growing in us, it stops growing in the world. If the gospel stops growing in us, it stops growing in the world. And so as you leave this place eventually, if the gospel stops growing and, and pulsing life into your spiritual life, if, if you lose sight of what's important, you lose sight of that Jesus Christ should be your all in all. If you lose sight of that and you stop stop living life for the sake of Christ, then the gospel's going to stop with you. It's going to be like a, a dead end. It's going to be like a cul-de-sac, and the gospel will not go forward in the world if that's what happens in you and your heart and your life. The gospel stops growing in us. It will stop growing in the world. And so then Paul transitions, and he says, then he says what he's thankful for in the Colossians. And he lists some things that he's thankful for, and, and this morning I want to say to you what I'm thankful for in you. And I'm not lying when I say this. When I was writing this down this week, I started crying because I was so thankful for what God's doing in you and the things I've seen in you as a body. The first thing that always comes to mind is impact. Um, I love impact, what it does for this city, what it does for this youth group, what it does for the kingdom of God. But as I started thinking about 
Um, what you guys sacrifice, what you guys put into something like Impact, you spend six Sundays, Kim Ronslaben up here on the stage yelling at you like a coach and like a drill sergeant, right? And, and, and you like it. You're like, yeah, I'll come back next year. Give me some more of that, you know? And, and so you, you put yourself through that. You go to camp, and you work hard. You, you learn. You grow. And we come back from camp, and you guys do um, clubs for, for four days here in Temple and Belton. And, and, and the, the thing that I see happen in some of you is just amazing. I'll see people lead that I didn't think were even leaders. I mean, you surprise me. You blow me away at Impact every year, every year. Some history, um, probably five years ago, we had about 45 students doing Impact between junior high and high school, just four or five years ago. This year on the list, we have 135 students doing Impact. And I have no idea how this keeps happening. In fact, I had to repent because I, I started thinking like, man, that's just too many people. That's just going to be crazy. And how are we going to do this? I got to get like three buses or something. I don't know. I got to get, um, and, and then I was like, God kind of shocked me. He's like, is this a problem, Dave? Look, if I give you 200 kids, you need to find a way to use them. What are you going to do? You're going to turn kids away if they want to serve God and the gospel? What are you, what are you smoking, Right? So I had to be humbled a bit, and God had to say, okay, we're going to find a way to make this happen. I'm not going to turn kids away that want to spread the gospel. I mean, how can we do that? Uh, mission trips. I mean, you guys, um, some of you guys not, don't just do impact for two weeks. You actually go on a mission trip later on in the summertime. Mission G or New York City for the high school kids this year. And you want to do the exact same thing somewhere else that you've done here in Temple and Belton. And it doesn't just stop there. One of the coolest things about this whole thing is that some of you have initiated ministry beyond doing impact throughout the year. And it's stuff like um, the Canyon Creek uh, townhomes outreach. This is still going on every week. You guys are playing with students, playing with kids up here at the church on Tuesday nights. Some are going to Ralph Wilson Youth Club weekly. And uh, Brianna was instrumental in doing that. Brianna Forbes was instrumental in doing that. And just... It's like stuff that I'm not, I'm not planning this stuff. Like, y'all are doing it. And I'm like, hey, man, y'all, y'all go do this. It's great. I'll support you. And I thank God for that in you. I see some leading G groups. Um, I met with G group leaders last fall for like four sessions. And I said, just go. Go. And many of them said, okay. And started shepherding and discipling their peers at their high school. Some of you were great at welcoming in new students into this place. When a new kid walks in, I see some get up and go, hey, what's your name? You want to come sit with us and, and be a part of our table on Sunday morning or Wednesday night? Some of you will ask me questions like, Dave, how can I grow? How can I grow? Like, what, what, do I, what should I read in Scripture? What should I do? And it's like, I love hearing stuff like that. And that, those are the things that I'm thankful for in you. And if the gospel stops growing in here, it's going to stop growing out there. Look at verse 9. And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, 
and increasing in the knowledge of God. So after Paul says why he's thankful for them, he now says how he prays for them. So what does he pray for? He prays for two things. He prays for a fullness in spiritual wisdom and understanding. What he's praying for there, he's praying they will not have a shallow faith. He's praying that they will not just have like a Sunday morning, Wednesday night experience, but they will chase after the gospel and Jesus, read books, they'll read the scriptures, they'll pray because they don't want to have a shallow faith. They want to have a faith that's deeply rooted, a fullness of spiritual wisdom and understanding. The second thing he prays for is that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Listen to me. Look at me. Look at me. We don't just care about what you believe here. We don't just care about that you have the right doctrine, just the right set of beliefs. We care about how you're walking. We care about how you are living out what you believe. We don't just think about what you say you believe on a piece of paper. Check this off. Check that off. I believe this, this, and this. I'm good. That's important. But we also care about how that's translating into your life. Is it causing you to walk and live differently? And the Christian life is a walk. And it's a long walk. And at times it gets tedious and boring. And the scenery is not all that great. And your feet hurt. But it's putting one foot in front of the other for a long period of time. And some in the room, when you leave here, Maybe in a couple months, you're going to look for a church, and you're going to be tempted towards the spectacular. You're going to walk into a church and be like, oh, they have awesome lights. They have a cool worship band. They've got great this. They have great coffee. They have great this, this, and this. And you're going to be tempted towards the spectacular things. Those things might be okay, but will they cause you to grow? Will they cause you to grow? When you look for a place when you leave this building, I want you to find a place that is concerned about how you're walking and cultivating that in your life. That's what you should be looking for when you leave this place. And the Christian life can be a long, tedious walk. So don't be tempted towards the spectacular and the showy and the glitzy because that's not where true growth always comes from. It's in the tedious and the boring and the walking sometimes that true growth happens. Skip my next slide and go down to the verse 11 here. Make sure we stay on, on time here. Verse 11. It says, May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So each one of you, if you're a believer, you have been delivered from the domain of darkness. I don't care what age you came to Christ. I know you didn't smoke pot at the age of four. That didn't happen. Probably not. But whatever, whatever you, wherever you came from, whatever age you came to Christ, you were, you were still delivered from a domain of darkness whether you knew it or not. Whether you knew it or not, you were. And so Paul is saying, don't forget where you came from. Don't forget your roots. Don't forget where you came from so that you can know what you were delivered from. 
Don't forget where you might be without the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Go ahead for a moment. Try to imagine your life right now if you were not a Christian. What do you think your life would be like right now? What would it look like if you weren't a Christian right now? If you lacked Christ's grace and mercy, where would you be? What would it look like? Try to think for a moment of a close family relative that you know that's not a Christian right now and what their life looks like. That would be you if it wasn't for Jesus in your life. I've got an uncle who lives in South Carolina. Haven't seen him in about, in about 10 years. He's my dad's brother. And um, I often look at him and think, my dad could have ended up just like him. I could be just like him if it wasn't for Jesus Christ. This uncle's not a Christian. He's a Vietnam War vet. Uh, just an old, bitter, tired man. Just He's been a truck driver his whole life. Um, he got caught up in all the stuff that people get caught up in oftentimes in that life because there's no accountability, no, there's no community. You're not part of a, a church, a community. It's just you're kind of on your own. And so everything that you can do, he's done. In fact, I, I just found out like five years ago that I've got a cousin in Panama. Never knew about. I saw a picture. I'm like, yeah, it kind of looks like us. And going through Panama after Vietnam War, he got someone pregnant and did not take responsibility to be that kid's father, left that woman, left that child, came back to the States, and never saw his own son again. And it's only through the, the letters between that woman and my grandmother that um, I even know about him. I've got a cousin who's 30-some years old, about my age, never met him before, and my uncle never took responsibility for his, his wrongdoing to be a father to that child. And my life could look like his life. My dad's life could look like his life if it wasn't for the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 14. It says, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, I mentioned that I want to look at, occasionally I'll kind of throw up some music lyrics. That it might be an old song or a new song, but um, I came across some lyrics this past week that I think does summarize what some think is a philosophy that they live by. And it's a song by uh, Metallica, Fade to Black, and the words are this, no one, can, no one but me can save myself, but it's too late. Now I can't think, think why I should even try. Yesterday seems as though it never existed. Death greets me warm. Now I will just say goodbye. No one, can, no one but me can save myself. That's one phrase but it's an idea. It's a philosophy. People live their life by these little snippet phrases. No one can save me but myself. But this passage says, only the one who forgives sin can save, and that's Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can forgive sin. Only Jesus can save. The, the life, is, life is not about, you know, pull yourself up and, and try to fix yourself. That's worldly philosophy. But Jesus says, I forgive you, I redeem you, I save you. I will save you from yourself. You can't save yourself from yourself. That doesn't make any sense. I will save you. About a month ago, my wife and I, we, um, we subscribed to the uh, magazine Texas Monthly. And the cover of Texas Monthly was Lance Armstrong. Go put the picture up there on the screen. And it was this picture. And the question that Texas Monthly, a secular magazine, is asking is this. 
Will he ever be redeemed? And I thought, that's a word you think of that Christians use and Christians throw around. But even secular people that aren't even Christians know something of this word redemption. Will Lance Armstrong ever be redeemed? What they mean when they say that is, will his good ever outweigh his bad to where people will accept him again into culture and acknowledge his greatness? Will his good ever outweigh his bad? Will he do enough good things so that we'll accept him again into our culture as being a good person? The answer is probably not. But the good news is Jesus can redeem anyone. That's the great news. Because the gospel is not about, all right, do your good works that way, you're bad. Let's see how, how the scale works out here. The gospel is about Jesus takes all of that junk, takes the weight of your good, the weight of your bad, puts it all on himself, and bears it at the cross on your behalf. That's redemption. And Jesus Christ is the only one who can do that. Jesus Christ is the only one who can redeem you. The only one. And when you put your faith and your trust in him and his finished work on the cross, and you say, God, my life's not going to be about me uh, trying to live out my life to, to weigh out the good, weigh out the bad. Which one is heavier so I can think well of myself? But my question is, do you think well enough of Jesus to let him bear the weight of all of that and take your sin on the cross and put your faith and trust in him and his finished work on the cross for you? We're going to go to breakouts here in a second. What I'll do, um, I think we've got leaders for every grade except I don't think I have a freshman guys leader this morning, do I? I don't see Clinton, Isaiah, or I think Mr. Weston. So, uh, good times. We'll do freshmen and sophomores merge together this morning. Um, but my question is, do I, do I even see my sophomore guy leaders today? Is there a sophomore guys leader today? Oh, yeah, Ben's here. Okay, good. So, you're going to have a big group today. All right, so here's what we'll do. We'll dismiss based on grade and gender here. So, we'll dismiss. Uh, I've got discussion seats over here at this table. I'll put these. Can you put this on the ping pong table over there? Discussion sheets. And um, we'll dismiss uh, freshman guys, freshman girls, and sophomore guys to go to the same spot. Sophomore guys as well. Go ahead and head that way. Leaders, grab a discussion sheet on your way out. Just to make sure we have the rooms not too crazy and chaotic. If you're new and don't know where to go, just follow this hallway down uh, the hallway. You'll see the rooms labeled with grade and gender. So, freshmen... I was going to try based on grade, but you guys didn't hear me. So I guess you guys just go, man. You know where to go. If you're new and don't know where to go, follow the hallway. You'll see a, a room with your grade and gender on it. Just go in there, and you should be okay. If you can't find it, come ask me. Leaders, grab your discussion sheets on the ping pong table on your way up.